Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Privilege. I don't do it very often, but last week we formally finished uh, this series called Finding Freedom. And some of you were tracking along with the printed booklets that we provided for you here, or you could have downloaded. You're taking this in personal study, you're taking it into your connect groups. And, uh, and so last week officially ended the last study in this particular book. However, I told you last week that I was preparing, as I was preparing for that lesson, I felt like there was one more that really I wouldn't have done the study justice if we didn't put this last one on, and you'll see why in just a moment. So I'm adding an extra study. It's not in your printed books. Uh, You're going to have to take notes this morning, um, or you can listen to the podcast again or the online service to get uh, some of the information and the the references if you want them. Uh, But the next time we print for future discipleship classes and ministry, we'll make sure to get this in the book. So I ask you to turn to Mark 4, 2 Timothy 2, but we're going to start in John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. We've been reading this uh, for a number of the studies, keeping it as a running theme. This is Jesus talking. From the New King James Version Bible, it says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed. Now, he's not talking to Christians because he hadn't died and resurrected yet. But he is talking to people that, are, that believe. So they're believers. And he's talking to believers. And he said, If you abide in my word, and I've told you that word abide is where we get the word abode. It doesn't mean visit once in a while. It doesn't mean run to for comfort or for inspiration or crisis management. It means if you root, if you plant, if you build your life in the word, then you are my disciples indeed, and then you will know the truth. That word know means to know by clarity and conviction. So you're not thinking, yeah, you know, like I know the Bible says this, but you know it, that you know it. It's, it's down in the value system, the fundamentals of how you live your life. He says, if you'll stay in the word of God, you'll build your life there, then you'll become a learner, a disciple, a disciplined one in following Christ. And at that point, the word of God will get rooted in your heart and begin to come alive. And it says, and then the truth will make you free. Lots of people just grab a little part of that. Well, you know, the truth will make you free. No, that's not even true. The truth's out there, but not everybody's free. But for the people who are building their life in the word of God and are being sensitive as they know how to the Holy Spirit and becoming disciples of Jesus Christ, the promise, the guarantee of God is that the truth will get rooted in your life and it will begin to work the way it's supposed to. And at some point, that truth will literally set your life free. And we're told that this freedom comes in layers, in levels. You get freer and freer and freer and freer and freer. And we're going to talk about some of that today. This is why two verses later, Jesus capsulized this and said, Therefore, because of what he just set up there, if the Son makes you free, you're free indeed. This is not a temporary relief. This is not a little bit of behavior modification. This is not as long as you want your game and things are going to work better. No, this is complete freedom. Like life is different and you are living the best version of who God's created you to be and you're experiencing something you never thought possible. Listen, this is not a suggestion. This is actually what Jesus said is the way it works. And so we're going to look at that more today. Again, the Finding Freedom series was largely about being delivered or being set free. 
We talked about how even though Jesus made these kinds of guarantees, there's a lot of Christians that are just not free. They're still tangled up in addictions and habits and wrong thought patterns, and they're struggling with this and struggling with that. And, and why is that? And it's because intentionally or unintentionally, we've opened ourselves up to the enemy to come in and begin to invade and influence and at some point control just grab us and and dominate us and keep us from experiencing everything that Jesus said was real and was the result of the finished work on the cross. And so we said that understanding freedom, that freedom is a journey. And it begins when the prison door snaps open, that's called deliverance. When you can identify and you're willing to, to come to grips with and repent and allow the Lord to bring complete freedom and liberty to, to an area of your life that you're tangled up or you're completely in bondage, that freedom snaps the prison door open and that's when it begins, but that's not when it ends. The, the, the deliverance or the freedom is just the beginning. Now you have to grow up into that in discipleship. And that's learning to live free. That's learning to help your life to become more and more and more free and more fulfilled so that you can be everything that God's called you to be. Here's what's interesting before we kind of jump into scripture. It's interesting that Christianity is one of the only areas in our life that we can be involved and be practicing for a long period of time. I mean like decades. And still at the end of that time, still it's acceptable for you to claim ignorance. For you to claim that, well, you know, I, I don't know, I, I don't know how to do it either, I'm still figuring it out. After 30 years, you don't even have a baseline for this? Now think about just about any other area. Think about some of the, you know, the kind of the blue collar stuff. Guys that are, that are laying, you know, bricks or laying, you know, building block walls. And they'll do that for five years. If a neighbor came over and said, hey, I got a little crack in this thing. And, you know, he wouldn't say, hey, don't ask me, man. I don't know what I'm doing. You've been doing this for five years. What if you were a plumber for 10 years and the boss came and said, hey, we're going to put the new guy with you. Oh, don't put him with me. I'm still trying to figure it out. After 10 years, I mean, you'd, you'd be risking losing your job, right? But think about all the other careers from, from the hardworking, you know, backbone of America, blue collar, all the way in, up into the business owners, the CEOs, into the medical fields. Just about every one of those have this apprenticeship learning opportunity, except Christianity. Someone asks you something about your faith, and the first response from many, maybe most Christians is, uh, you need to talk to a pastor, man. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I'm still trying to figure this out myself. Listen to me, that was never how Jesus planned it. Jesus expects for us to be able to grow and to grow up in the things of God so that we can be very intentional about fulfilling God's plan and so that we can be representatives, maybe not perfect, certainly not theologians, But representative, when someone comes along and says, I've got this fracture down my life. Yeah, I can help you with that. Well, I've had lots of those. And let me tell you how God healed me up and how God put me back together and how God made me solid. Let me just kind of walk you through and show you. This is the way God wants it to be. And so this is what we're going to look at today. We're going to talk about how is it that you grow up spiritually. And we're going to draw most of our analogy or most of our insight from Mark chapter 4. It's a pretty popular parable, probably one of the most popular. In fact, even people that are not believers, they understand about this parable because it's talking about the law, the kingdom law of sowing and reaping. And you hear people everywhere say, well, you know, you reap what you sow. What goes around comes around. So this is not just limited to Christ followers. Everybody knows this is true. 
But Jesus lays it out in Mark chapter 4 in such incredible detail and, and such obvious you know, uh, illustrations so we can draw from it. And let me tell you why this is such good news. Because God said something way back in Genesis chapter 8 verse 22 and he, he made this commitment to mankind forever. He said, as long as the earth is still in existence, seed time and harvest will continue to work. We're still here. The earth is still here. So the kingdom law of sowing and reaping, not just what's going on in the dirt on the planet, but what's going on in the spiritual development and the growth of, of human beings, as long as we're still here on earth, the, the principle of sowing and reaping is still working. So here's what I'm going to do. I don't have time to teach all this. In honesty, this is a whole series unto itself, and we'll get there. But I'm going to give you this big overview. We're just going to look at this one story of Jesus primarily. But I'm going to give you enough of an overview that you can go back and you'll understand the, the, the elements of the story and you can go back and begin to study this. Let me, just, let me just let you know, I'm going to give you a lot of scripture. We're going to read some of it, but a lot more of it, I'm just going to give you the reference and kind of the truth that it says. So if you're a note taker, just get ready because you're, you're going to be hands all cramped up. We'll pray for healing at the end of the service because you're going to be writing fast. But if not, there's the podcast and there's the online service. You can go back through and you can get all of this. But I'm telling you, this is a power pack. And, and I'll say this too. I get a little wound up when I teach about this because this is the whole insight that quite literally changed the game for me. I grew up in church. And I understood about the power of God, and I understood about the Word of God, and I understood about my need to be a good little boy and not a bad little boy. I couldn't put it all together until I understood what Jesus was saying to these disciples. The moment I caught it, everything changed. I didn't say I was perfect. But all of a sudden, the dial shifted, and I'm like, oh my goodness, that's really how it works? And if Jesus were there, he'd be like, that's what I'm trying to tell you. This is real. This really works. And so I'm going to give you this overview. I know I'm slamming it into place, uh, but, you know, eat it as fast as you can and whatever, take it home and you can chew on it a little bit later because this is really important. We get it out. All right. So we're in Mark chapter four. Now we're going to start in verse number 13. And let me tell you where we're at. Uh, this is the second time Jesus is telling the story because the first time he told it, his disciples, you know, were listening and they were out in the congregation and everybody's like, wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they came over and whispered to him, Jesus, uh, we don't get it. So Jesus said, okay, come here, I'm going to tell you again. And so this time he tells them again, but he puts more spiritual connection in there so they can digest it easier. And so beginning in Mark chapter 4, verse 13, this is, the, this is what Jesus said. And he said to them, Jesus to the disciples, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? In other words, he's saying, seriously, you don't understand this one because this one's key. This one's like your baseline. And if you don't understand this parable, you're not ever going to fully understand any of the parables. This one's really important. You've got to get this block in place first. It's like the ABCs of how the kingdom works. Once you get this locked in, well, then you, you can really begin to develop. But if you don't understand this, then it's not going to work for you. And now he's going to give them the first big insight. Listen to verse 14, the first part. He said, the sower sows the word. Now, what he said in the, in the first time he told it, he said, the sower goes out and sows seed. But the sower sows the word. Let me just tell you what Jesus is communicating, and then we're going to watch it unfold. Jesus is telling you the whole kingdom of God works like a farm. 
In fact, let me, let me kind of narrow it down for this morning's uh, focus. Growing your spiritual life works like a farm. This is how it works. And we're going to watch this unfold in Scripture over and over again. But it's important you catch that view. This might be the first time you've ever seen that. This might be you've heard it somewhere else and somebody said, ah, don't listen to that stuff. That's weird. It's all over the Bible, especially in the New Testament. But Jesus is breaking it down so that you and I, we don't have to be theologians. We get our feet on the ground, get our hands in this thing and say, okay, I'm going to grow in my Christianity and I'm going to understand how do I experience everything Jesus paid, uh, paid so, so much for. And this is how you do it. You begin to recognize the whole kingdom works like a farm. Now, let me tell you why that, that's phenomenal and important. Because most people, most Christians that, that I've met, but, but I'll just say most people, they think that God only works in mysterious ways. That God's arbitrary. He kind of gets up every morning and says, hmm, who do I think I'm going to help? Who do I want to bless today? You know, and, and he, or he's got this predetermined plan and everything's just rolling along and you and I really don't have any say so. We're just trying to control our attitude and learn to trust and love God. It, when he does work, they think it always has to be miraculous, instantaneous, like right on the spot, like, whoa, what just happened? Did you feel that? Did you see that? And it has to be one of those things. And listen to me, I'm not marginalizing that. God certainly can do that and often does. But if you begin to study your Bible, especially the New Testament, and start with this particular passage, you'll find out that that instant, miraculous, in the moment, wow, that was crazy, my life's never the same, that's the exception, not the rule. And you say, why is that? I mean, he, he's our Heavenly Father. He can do anything. Why isn't he just saying, you're free, and you're free, and you're free? Listen to me, for the same reason that good parents don't do all of that for their kids all the time. Because as much as God wants to bless you, he wants to grow you. He wants to develop you. He wants to change you and set you free so that you can become everything that he's created you to be. He wants you to be a strong, focused, confident, intelligent, intel, uh, 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 intelligent, intentional Christian so that when life gets crazy, you're not freaking out like everybody else. You're just steady as she goes. And he wants to do this not just here on earth, but here's the crazy part. Revelations 22 says that God intends for you and I as his children to rule and reign with him forever and ever in eternity. I don't even know what all that means. But here's what I do know, that he's got to get us ready for leadership. As much as God wants to bless you, and he does, the Bible never deviates on that. Never, ever, ever. But as much as he wants to bless you, God wants to grow you and he wants to change you. In fact, hold on to Mark chapter 4, the second place I asked you to look was 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to grab a few verses and then we're coming back to Mark 4. Now listen to this. Paul's writing to this young pastor protege named Timothy. He's the pastor of the Ephesus church, one of the strongest and, uh, and most prolific churches in the New Testament at the time. But it's, it's come under great challenge and great persecution. I don't know if they had COVID back then, but they had something like it, right? So it was crazy. And so he's coaching this, little, this, this young guy. And he writes to them, but here's what I want you to see. He's writing 60 years after Jesus told the story. He's also said in other letters to other churches uh, that, that the Lord has given him a great deal of insight. I mean, he's using him. He didn't know it at the time, but he's writing three quarters of the New Testament that would help us to understand what does it really look like to live out our Christianity? 
And Paul was the one getting all this download from the Lord and, and saying, wow, that's incredible. I didn't know that's what Jesus meant. I didn't understand that's what the prophets were talking about. But he can see it also 60 years later. He's been in this for a long time. He's got a lot of insight. And he writes this letter to this young pastor. Listen to what he says. Verse number one, 2 Timothy chapter two. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We don't have the time to teach on that, but that's a whole lesson. And it's saying that what we're about to learn about farming is not in your own strength. We're not talking about discipline and behavior modification and you just have to not do the wrong things and just will yourself to do the right things. That's your own strength. He's saying you're going to find your strength in the grace, in, the, in what the Lord's provided, and you're going to find that on a divine, like a supernatural level, you'll be able to, train, to change and become a person that you maybe have tried for years to be and you've never been able to pull it off. And all of a sudden, God says, but try it my way, because my way will work. So he says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will also be able to teach others. Verse 3, you therefore, now listen to this, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Because no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Here's the second picture. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And here's the third and final one. And the hardworking farmer must be first to partake in the crops. Now stop. He's given us three examples that each have kind of pictures and insights as to what it means to be a Christian. But here's what I want you to see. None of those examples are convenient. None of those examples are easy. None of those examples are instant, quick, presto, changeo. Wow, I didn't even hardly do anything. I just showed up and the music was great and the preacher was powerful and the atmosphere was there and boom, everything was great and my life has just been awesome. And none of those are that. Every single one of these require diligence. Every single one of these require training. Every single one of these require d discipline and require day after day after day after day. The, the, the army guy, he's not always fighting, but he's always aware of his duty and his loyalties so he doesn't get so tangled up in civilian life that he can't do what he's required and committed to do. The athlete, he doesn't get to just party and have fun all the time. He's training. He's practicing his craft. He's trying to shave those last few seconds off and finely tune his body and his mechanics and his rhythm so when competition comes, this guy can, can win the crown. That's what he's after. And listen, not just a farmer, a hardworking farmer. Someone who day after day after day after day goes out and he plows and he plants and then he watches over his crops and then he guards them against, you know, a, a drought and he guards them against insects and bugs and creepy crawlers that are trying to, trying to cheat all that. And then as the, as the plant gets ready and the harvest is there, then he really gets busy and he goes out and he pulls in all of that harvest so that it isn't stolen and it doesn't go to work. This is what he's talking about. But let's compare it to contemporary Christianity, not here. Nobody in this church would ever act like that. But in contemporary Christianity, it's more like kind of this consumer approach, right? It's kind of like grocery shopping. You just roll into Sunday, and you're just filling up your buggy with all the stuff that you like, and what's on sale today, what's being featured, and, oh, that's kind of fun. That won't cost me a lot. Yeah, let's go ahead and get that. We've got a coupon for that. And you're just filling up your buggy. Some people try to do it once a week. Some people have said, I can do it every two weeks. Other people are once a month. And then you, every once in a while, you meet these people, eh, two, three times a year, that's enough, I can stock up. 
But it's this quick fix. But listen to me. Jesus is saying, this is not how it works ever. Jesus said, the kingdom of God works like a farm. And if you're going to be a Christ follower, you're going to have to root yourself in the word of God and allow the truths of the word of God to literally begin to shape and transform the landscape of your life. And when you do that, you'll start experiencing the rich blessing and the rich freedom. This is not, uh, this is not a roll of the dice. This is absolutely how it works every single time. So let me just say this, okay? If you know anybody, because we would never do this, but if you know of anybody that's just, well, I just, I'm just waiting for the Lord to do something. Well, I just wish God would do something. Tell him, like, he's not. I mean, he might, but probably not. But you can have everything that God promised you, but here's what you got to do. You got to roll up your sleeves. You got to put your overalls on. You got to get out there in the mud. You got to start plowing. You got to start planting. You got to work hard to water. You got to make sure that that the, the bugs and the creepy crawlers and the weeds don't overtake all the work you've done. And you've got to do all of that until the harvest comes. And then you got to pull it all in and you got to say, look at that. It is exactly like the Lord said. This is what the Bible says. This is day after day after day after day after day after day. But you do that enough days and all of a sudden it just starts to click and it just starts to work. All right. Now, With that in mind, okay, refocus of kind of Christianity, not quick, not convenient, not consumer, the kingdom, your spiritual life works like a farm. Go back to Mark chapter 4. And again, I wish I had time to teach all of this, but uh, I'm going to give you an overview. So here's the four main elements that are going to jump out in the story. And I want you to see what the New Testament, how the New Testament postures them then you can go back and read the story with those elements now in in clear, crystal clear perspective, and the story will start to come alive for you. But listen to me, the first thing we've already read in, in verse 14, he talks about the sower. And ultimately, the sower in our life, the one who comes and plants the word or plants the seed, ultimately the sower is the Holy Spirit. However, the Bible points out that the Holy Spirit didn't come to do it all, He came to be the helper. So the Holy Spirit is the master farmer. I mean, he knows how to make make things grow and make things blossom like you never dreamed he could. And he's never met a patch of ground that he can't cause that to become rich and fertile. So he's the master farmer. But listen, you're the junior farmer. And if the junior farmer doesn't show up and do the work, then the master farmer's got all this knowledge, but you're not going to see any increase. So the sower here ultimately is the Holy Spirit, but remember, he's sent to mentor, he's sent to coach, he's sent to help. In fact, John 14, 26, these are those references I talked about. Jesus said that he was going to come to be the helper, he was going to be your chief partner, but you have a part to play. You have to be working right alongside of him. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4, Jesus so wanted our lives to blossom that he brought extra people into the farming community called Christians. And these people are there to bring seed and to bring instructions on how to plant, and it's the five-fold ministry called the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. I fit in in some of those. And so you, you look at that and you think, well, God did that just to help you to farm better. But not only that, Hebrews chapter 10 talks about the importance of surrounding yourself with fellow farmers, not just people that are saved and going to heaven. That's wonderful. Praise the Lord. 
but people that are working their ground, working their fields, because those are the ones who are going to love you enough to say, dude, what, what are you doing? You're going to jack up your crop right there. Don't do that. No, no, let me show you. I, I, I just do the same thing, but let me show you. Do this. See what the Bible says? Do this over here. See, they're going to sharpen and encourage and keep your life moving straight. All of that has to do with the sower or the farmer. Here's the second element you're going to see. You're going to see the seed. And the seed, in the first story, Jesus said the seed. In the second story, he was clarifying, and he said the sower is not sowing seed, really. In this particular point, he's sowing the word. But let me tell you something about the word of God that the New Testament reveals. It's like super-duper seed. I mean, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 says, this seed is incorruptible, or let me say it this way, indestructible. You, you can't kill it. Now, you'll see in a minute, you can do stuff so that it won't produce like it's supposed to, but you can't kill it. It's like drought-proof, it's destruction-proof, it, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's virus and, and little critter-proof. You can't kill its indestructible seed. Not only that, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13 says, this seed not only produces the crop, and, and it'll produce any and every crop you need, not spiritually only, you think about everything across the landscape of your life, your natural life, your mental life, your emotional life, your physical life, your financial life, your relational life, and the list just goes on. Those things that when you fall asleep at night, they're so personal and private that you kind of think about them every once in a while, but you won't tell another living soul because they're so important to you. Yeah, it produces those things. It'll produce everything, but not only that, this particular seed is so incredible that while it's working and producing the, the, the promise that God said you could have, it's also strengthening the farmer. It's also nurturing and fertilizing and, and making and, and balancing all of the chemicals in the soil itself. And not only that, it's safeguarding the harvest so that as it grows, it'll grow sweet and it'll be everything it's supposed to be. The Bible says the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and adds no sorrow. None. Well, that's all has to do with what this word does. I'll take it a step further. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14 and 18 says that this word, this supersede, extinguishes any and every threat to the blessings in your life. Anything, circumstances or people or, you know, evil spirits or your own, you know, your own mistakes, it will absolutely insulate, but it'll back off every threat so that the word of God can do exactly what it's supposed to do. Now, let me kind of give you a couple of other fun things that I enjoy uh, chewing on and, and strengthening myself all the time. In Psalm 68, 19, it talks about the supply from heaven is absolutely endless, most Christians don't know this, but listen to what it says. Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits. Daily. So if you were literally on a farm, it's like the kingdom truck pulls up every single morning, and you're looking, you're thinking, how'd you know I needed all that stuff? Everything you need is on the truck, fresh supply. You're never short, you never run out, you always got plenty, more than, more than enough. And notice after that, it says Selah. The word Selah in the Hebrew actually means, okay, don't keep reading yet. Stop and think about how incredible that is. Let that sink in for a minute. 
Well, that's exactly what the psalmist David was doing in Psalm 103 when he said, man, I think about those benefits all the time. I never stop thinking about them. And then he categorically lists them. And here's what he said, that truck pulls up every day and it's got more supply than you can ever use in forgiveness which is grace and mercy, right? The Bible says the mercies of the Lord are brand new every single morning. So you could have had a bad day, a bad week, a bad month, a bad decade, doesn't matter. You wake up in the morning, brand new truck pulls up, chock full of all the blessing and all the grace and all the forgiveness you need. But it doesn't stop. It says that part of the benefits is healing. Any area of your life, physical, mental, emotional, relational, emotional, uh, any, any of those areas, healing pulls up and it's like, hey, anybody, you guys, you guys doing okay? You need some healing today? The truck pulls up, it's got plenty, everything you need. Not only that, replenishment talks about redeeming a life from destruction. If you ever find yourself way behind or you're in a hole and you think, I don't know how I can ever catch up, yeah, this seed will bring you back up to ground zero will fill in that pothole, bring you back up back to ground zero so you're walking on straight level ground again. Not only that, you, have, you know, you ever have that thought, I know there's more, I just need opportunity. Yeah, one of those benefits is favor and opportunity. That God's working behind the scenes, talking to people you don't even know who, who we need to talk to. But he's whispering in their ear and having them to notice so that when the timing comes, you get the opportunity to do what you've always wanted to do and never knew how to get into it. That's part of the benefits. And not only that, he takes all of those things and the last benefit's very personal. He said he'll satisfy your mouth, he'll fulfill you. So there's always more, right? We're always working toward, towards continuing to grow. But in the meantime, we can sit back and kind of pat our tummy and say, man, I'm so satisfied. God's been so good. I mean, we, we got more, but oh my, I, I can't even believe what he's already done. What a fulfilling, what a rich life. Those are all the benefits that daily show up in your, in your life because the Lord pulls up the truck and he says, stop, think about that. Think about that. that that's real. I mean, that's actually happening. And, and then it, if you want to know what these benefits are specifically, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, and 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, both talk about these great, I mean like more than you can wrap your head around, and such value, so precious promises that have already been stored up for you. They're delivered to your life every single morning. All you have to do is recognize, huh, kingdom works like a farm, and boy, there's a bunch of stuff on that truck that I need. But most Christians don't have any idea this is how it works. So we talked about the sower. We talked about the, uh, the, the, the seed. The next thing is the water. And, and you won't see this like pronouncedly in, in the story. But if you're looking at it, it's absolutely there. And, and you don't have to dig really hard. But, uh, but even though the seed is drought proof, it's incorruptible. Again, you can, you can do things or not do things that make it hard to produce. And one of those that we understand about farming, if you don't put water on it, it's not going to grow. And so here's what the Lord did. He's so good. He provides all of these streams, all of these irrigation systems of abundant water that you and I get to choose on any given day how we hydrate our life. How are we going to bring refreshing? Let me, let me list a few of them and they'll be obvious to you. The first one he talks about in John chapter 4 and again in John chapter 7, and he talks about the very act of salvation uncovers and causes a wellspring of life to begin to flow in you. And in John chapter 7, that flow begins to increase where it's not just flowing in you, it's flowing out of you. You're not just irrigating and watering your own life, but now you're an encouragement and you're watering other people's life. Not only that, uh, praise and worship is another really big one. 
And so let me just re- read to you. This is a prophetic passage in, in Isaiah chapter 12 that was looking forward to the kingdom farm. And here's what it says. With joy, you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. Well, that didn't happen in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, that's exactly what Jesus did. It goes on and says, and in that wonderful day, and when that happens, you will sing. And here's what you're going to sing. Thank the Lord. Praise his name. Tell the nations what he's done. Let them know how mighty he is. Sing to the Lord, for he's done wonderful things. Make known his praise around the world. Let all the people of Jerusalem shout his praise for joy, for great is the Holy One of Israel who lives among you. If you've ever wondered how come you can kind of, you know, be so sleepy or groggy or you just had a hard week and you're going to drag yourself to church, but you get to the end of a praise and worship service and you're like, man, I just feel better. Yeah, you've taken a nice long drink. It just in praise and worship. You don't have to wait for church, by the way. You can do that at home. You can do that in your car. I mean, we've got these amazing things now where you can access praise and worship anytime and not just listen, but do what this says, sing, jump in. Let it begin to flow out of you and you'll find out what happens. You're watering, you're hydrating your life so you don't feel so dry and parched and crotchety and exhausted, and, but you've got the water coming through your life. Not only that, we talk a lot about daily devotions, time in the word and time in prayer. And just a couple of examples, they're all over the place, but Psalm 23 is one of my favorite. It says, the Lord is my shepherd and every single day he leads me beside these cool, still waters. And he says, hey, Gil, listen, before the day gets crazy, lay down right here in this nice cool grass. Take you a big, long drink of this water. Let me show you some things here. Let let me just get you hydrated and refreshed, and let me restore your soul. So when you turn around to hit the day's schedule now, man, you're ready to go. You're focused, and you're ready to go. This is what the shepherd does for us. Not only that, Psalm chapter 1 talks about us planting our life by these rivers of living water. And he's talking, you know, among other things about being rooted in a church. Not just that, but getting involved in a connect group so that you can discuss the things of God like life on life, face to face and say, hey, are you going through that too? Yeah, man, he tried to do that for me, but here's what the Bible, are you kidding me? It really works like that? This is planting, rooting ourselves intentionally so that we have access to water. We don't have to go one day, and if we happen to miss a devotion, you don't go more than a couple days, and you're dipping your bucket in, and you're drawing from the irrigation. This is what it means to farm in the kingdom. This is real life, super practical stuff. But this is how Jesus said it all works. Now let me get to the last element, and then we're actually gonna read the parable, uh, and we're heading for the finish line. The final, but the primary focus of the passage is then the soil. It's the soil. And when Jesus is telling the story, he's talking about the fact that when he preaches a message, when the Holy Spirit is trying to bring truth to people's hearts, that in any congregation, you're more than likely to find four different groups of people. And he's going to identify four different groups as four different soil types, four different places. And so here the farmer is putting seed all over the ground, but, the, but depending on what the, what's going on with the ground, the seed is impacting or being able to get in the ground in, in four different, different ways. But here's what I want you to see. It's not just that. That's the broad application. But the narrow application is you recognizing that all four of those types of soil, they're in your life. 
All four of those are us. That's all four of those are me. There's some areas that when you hear it preached about, man, you just bring it in. You're like, absolutely, man. You're so excited. And there's other areas you're like, whatever. I'm sure God would really ever do that. And and you're going to find out you've got patches in your life that the master farmer wants to come through and say, listen, I want all, all of your life, every parcel of ground in your life, I want it to be open and excited and receptive to what God wants to do. And as you do that, your life will blossom more and more and get freer and freer and freer. But you've got to walk across and you've got to see how the, the property's doing. All right. So if you take these things now, now we're going to read Mark chapter 4. And you understand what the New Testament describes as these four elements, the sower and the supersede and the water and then the actual soil being our heart and how we allow the Holy Spirit to come and help us. Now Mark chapter 4 will make a lot more sense. I'm going to start back in verse number uh, 14 again, and I'm going to switch to the message translation because it's just so easy to understand. But I'm going to stop and, uh, and with each little type of soil, and I'm going to maybe put a practical thing in there to see if maybe, ah, that was me. Yeah, I do that all the time, and so maybe you can kind of get an insight as to how this applies. So Mark chapter 4, we're in verse number 14. It says, the farmer plants the word. Again, ultimately the farmer's the Holy Spirit, but you're the junior farmer, so you got to show up with your overalls on, and you got to show up ready to get that seed into the ground, and, and there's the cooperation. If you don't, then it doesn't matter how master the master farmer is, he is not going to be able to get your life to blossom. You have a part to play, okay? So the farmer plants the word, and here we go. Some people are like the seed that falls on the hardened soil of the road. No sooner do they hear the word of God than Satan snatches away what has been planted in them. There's a really good possibility that some of you this morning have already experienced hardened soil. You're like, oh my gosh, how much longer is this guy going to talk, right? It's already after 12 and we need, we need to go to lunch and, you know, I haven't eaten breakfast this morning and, and you're not hearing a thing that the word of God's saying and yet the word of God will change your life. Other people will hear something because of a bad experience they've had, because of a previous hurt or a disappointment, or what somebody else taught them, right? Well, yeah, I wish. I wish it worked like that. Yeah, I wish God would just do that for me. And you're just not even open to the possibility that this is exactly what Jesus is trying to teach you. And so you become the hardened soil, and I don't care how many messages you listen to, if you don't open up the soil of your heart, that word of God will bounce off, and you'll literally become harder and harder and harder. Romans chapter 1 tells you about that, right? Here's the next one. And some are like the seed that lands in gravel. When they first hear the word, they respond with great enthusiasm. But there is such shallow soil of character That is also described as commitment or a predetermination that I'm going to let bring the word of God into my life. It's like you're here and you hear something, you're like, oh, that would be awesome. I need that. Man, that would just be great. That's really what I need. So at first, you're very enthusiastic, but you don't have the resolve or the commitment to say, nope, this is true. And so notice what happens when the emotions wear off and some difficulty arrives, you have nothing left to show for it. So totally excited on, on Sunday, maybe you make it through lunch and you're still excited, but Monday morning rolls around and you're like, oh, I can't believe it's Monday morning. And by the time you get to Tuesday and then Wednesday, you're like, see, you know, if, if this is going to work, then God would have done it by now. It's, it's not going to work. And you've talked yourself out of it. It wasn't you didn't hear, you did. 
and all, and it brought, you know, a, a spark, but you were so shallow in your commitment to it that you just didn't let it, uh, let it work. In fact, I say this all the time. Oftentimes, it's not that we're not doing the right thing. It's that we're not doing it long enough to let it work. And you'll see that in just a minute. Okay, so we're on the third type of soil now. The next one says, the seed cast into the weeds. This one's super important. Super important, kind of a hinge in the story. The weeds represent the ones who hear the kingdom news, but are overwhelmed with two things, or I'll say two categories. The first one is the worries about all the things they have to do. Let me expand it. Some other translations point out it's the cares of this world. So it's not just what they have to do. Like, well, I'm going to have to do all that, and I don't know if I'm ready to do that. I don't, I don't know if I'm ready to commit to that. Or it's also the things that you're concerned about. Yeah, but what if it doesn't happen? What about this? And if that doesn't work, then this is going to happen. And you've seen the economy. The economy is just going, and it's all this stress and all this care. And so you hear the word of God, but you can't seem to get it through your head that God is bigger than all of that stuff. And you can't figure out how you can discipline yourself and add one more thing to the schedule, and so you literally talk yourself out of it. But some people live on the other side. And listen to the other side. It says, and all the things they want to get. Some people are like, okay, okay, I'm going to do it. And they, they plow, and they get the word of God in there, and it starts working. And when it starts working, they get so excited. Oh my goodness, this stuff works just like, and now they're thinking about, that means we can get a bigger car. That means we can get a bigger house. That means we can find out the swimming pool. That means we can get a boat. That means we can go on vacation. And it's, it's all of a sudden, it's about the stuff, not about the growth. And here's what it says. When that happens, the stress, because there's stress in what might not happen, and then there's stress in what you really want to happen, but you don't know if it's going to happen like that. It says the stress strangles what they heard, and nothing comes of it. Listen to me. There are a ton of Christians that live here. I've been caught in that trap more than once. I've been caught on both sides of that fence more than once. But listen to the last one, verse number 20. But the seed planted in good earth represents those who hear the word of God, they embrace it, they grab it, they pull it on the inside, and notice this, and they produce a harvest beyond their wildest dreams. Now, here's what I want you to see. Everybody, whether you're a Christian or not, everybody wants to be in category number four, right? Everybody wants their heart and their mind to be able to grab something that's going to unlock the challenges of life, and they're going to be able to blossom and be everything they want to do. Everybody on planet Earth wants that. But here's what everybody doesn't understand, that everybody wants to be in number four, but everybody starts in number one. Everybody. You say, well, then how do I get to number four? You farm. You farm. Now, right about now, some of you that have been around Christianity for a while, you're starting to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. This sounds very formulaic, right? This sounds like that prosperity gospel, that name it and claim it. Yeah, you just plant your seed and, and it'll grow for you. And, and, but God's not like that. God's not a genie in a bottle. You can't just put, quote a couple of promises and then bam, it happens. And listen to me, I want to say to you lovingly, the only reason you're saying that is because you've never farmed. The only reason. Because you are minimizing, you are oversimplifying, and what you're not taking into account 
is when the Holy Spirit, the master farmer, and you say, you know what, Lord? Man, I, I'm just, I just, we just need to, to have an increase financially. And the word says that this belongs to us, that you purchased this. And so we're going to begin to get some seeds in the word of God regarding increase. And the Holy Spirit's like, awesome. I'm right with you. Let's get that planted. And so you're all excited about the financial blessing. And he says, now, just before we get to the finances, I got to talk to you about stewardship. What? No, no, I, I, no, I, I don't want to talk about that. I just need more money. No, no, you don't. You have weeds in your life that are choking out the blessing of God because you're not handling what you do have right or because you're so anxious to get more stuff because you think more money is going to solve everything that now you're on the other side and you're slipping into greed and covetousness and it's not about growing, it's about getting. And see, when you begin to understand that, that the Holy Spirit rarely goes in a vertical line, he usually, you plant something and he starts going horizontal. He starts saying, okay, I totally want to do that for you. That's exactly what what God promises. We're going to get it done, I promise. But the first thing, we have to talk about this over here. And see, we don't understand that more than God wants to bless us, he wants to grow us. He wants to change us. And you're going to have to work through those soils. But I promise you, based on the word of God, well, actually, God promises, I'm just rehearsing it for you, that this stuff works for real, and it works every single time, and you, through the help of the master farmer, and the super seed, and the abundance of irrigation, and, and, and your ability to, to be able to walk through and receive from the Lord, and, and move the conditions and the soil of your heart, I promise you, this stuff works every single time. As long as the earth is here, The law of sowing and reaping is going to work just the way God said it works every single time. All right, having said that, I'm going to give you three quick truths, okay? So the last thing, we're closing right here. Three quick truths. Number one, shocking to some of you. Three quick truths about growing in freedom or growing spiritually. Number one, God has already given every believer everything you need to live live in freedom. And when I say live in freedom, I don't just mean like, you know, I feel super free, I'm super happy, and I'm not just talking about spiritually, I'm talking about being healthy, being prosperous, being happy, having peaceful relationships, everything you already need is already been, get, you own it. The truck shows up to your life every single day. So you can't, well, if the Lord would just, no, 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 no. If you would just begin to lean in and say, okay, Holy Spirit, help me to learn how to farm. Help me to learn how to do this. Again, so we, we've read about four key elements. All those things already belong to you. You can access them. And the master farmer promises he will help you. The truck shows up every day. The water supply is always there. And all you have to do is to be willing to let the soil be conditioned and to let the crops grow. In fact, uh, I don't have time to turn there, but you can go there and read it. In Acts chapter 10, uh, the apostle Peter had this incredible insight. And I mean, he literally stood up in a meeting one day and said, wait, 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 wait hold on a second. This just dawned on me. It's like, I don't know how I've never seen it before. I just suddenly realized in Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 35, he says, God is not a respecter of persons. Anybody from any background, from any geography, from any neighborhood, from any influence, from any you know, form of, of, of upbringing, anybody who's willing to fear to respect the Lord and to work the system of righteousness, that means farming. Anybody, the Bible, Peter says, God will accept him. And you go, well, of course, Pastor Gil. God accepts everybody. He doesn't reject anybody. Oh, no, no. The Greek word for accept is the Greek word dektos. And it means to personally take you by the hand and to welcome you into the most intimate circle with the most intimate and precious of resources. You're like, on, you're like in the in crowd. 
And Peter said, it just dawned on me, God doesn't have favorites. He won't do something cool for one person and not do something for another person. So if you can see somebody else and they're really doing well in an area that you're struggling in, you say, okay, then if God will do it for him, he'll do it for me. This farming stuff really works the way God said. Here's number two. Number two is living free. And again, that's ongoingly experience the blessing life in every area. Over, doesn't mean no challenges. It means you're overcoming. Living free requires you to farm. This is not optional. If you don't want to farm, that's okay. You can go to heaven and it'll be awesome. But you're not going to expect to live what God has here because the whole kingdom and your spiritual growth works like a farm. And so here's what Galatians 6, 7 says. Paul's talking about this, and he says, do not be deceived. I cannot, I don't even know how to measure how many Christians are. Christians just think, well, if God wanted to do it, he'd just do it. Well, that's not what the New Testament says. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for or because whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Listen, even the world knows that, right? I mentioned before, well, you reap what you sow. They know that. They don't believe in God, but they know that's true. Some people call it karma. Some people say, you know, it goes around, comes around. They've all got these expressions for it, but it all comes down to what Paul was saying. Listen, don't be deceived. God has never mocked. Whatever a person sows, that's what they're going to reap. And just in case you didn't quite understand, he elaborates. He says, for he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. Now listen, when it says corruption, it doesn't mean evil. You could work hard and build a business and build a company and you've got great finances and all that stuff's great, but listen to me, all that stuff is corruptible, which means it's only going to last until you leave the planet. You got 60, 70, 80, 90 years, which is awesome, but compared to eternity. So if, if you're putting all your attention on natural fleshly things, you can do really well, but it's corruptible. But notice what else it says, but he who sows to the spirit... That's not weird. That's not mystical. That's doing what the Holy Spirit, the master farmer, is telling you to do. It says, will of the Spirit. Uh, we, we could trans- it's a conjunction. We could translate this way. Will from the Spirit's intervention, will by the, re- the, the power and, and the instruction and, and the intervention of the Holy Spirit, what he brings to the table, will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And this is another misnomer. Everlasting life is not eternity once we get there. Everlasting life starts the moment you accept the Lord Jesus Christ, a wellspring of life begins to flow up. In fact, the Bible says, even though my outward man is perishing, on the inside, this farm is fully in blossom. This farm's getting better and sweeter. I'm more fulfilled. I'm more confident. I'm more in victory. I'm more sensitive to the master farmer. I'm working this stuff and helping other people more than ever before because the, farm, the everlasting farm never stops. One day, this body will drop, and I'll go into being in heaven, and then it really gets fun. But until then, Jesus said, this is how it works every single time. And notice this very last verse, and we're going to finish with the last truth here. He says, and let us not grow weary while doing good. For, listen to this, in due season. I can't tell you how many times I've asked the Lord and I've had other people say, Pastor Gil, when's due season? Well, I can tell you this, it's later than you think. (laughs) Because we always want it right now, right? I read my Bible three times this week. How come it's not working? Well, is that the way it works on a farm? See, you're confusing a farm with a landscape company. 
right? You got a patch of dirt one day, you call them in, bulldozers and shovels and workers all over the place, and then bam, you got sod, you got trimmed hedges, you got trees, and it's beautiful. The kingdom of heaven doesn't work like a landscape company. The kingdom of heaven works like a farm. Hey, you know what I want? I want this, and great, here's a pack of seeds. What? Yeah, here's a shovel. Here's a brand new pair of overalls. Probably gonna need some gloves till you get blisters on your hands. And I'm, the kingdom works like a farm. But you have the master farmer working with you, and he says, do not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap, listen to the last truth, if, 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 I just want that to echo, if you do not lose heart. But what if I do lose heart? Then you're not going to reap. Again, it's not that we don't do the right things, we don't do it long enough. We're doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. I don't see anything. Nothing's changed. I I just don't think the Lord's going to do this. And you quit the day before the little sprout was going to come up out of the ground. This is how the kingdom works every single time, which gives me the last truth, and I'm going to pray and let you go. The last truth is this. This is really important. Freedom can be diminished, and freedom can be lost. Freedom can be diminished and freedom can be lost. I can't tell you how many people that I've met that say, I don't understand, Pastor Gil. I went to this church, uh, you know, to this church service. I was in this conference. I got prayed for and I know the Lord healed me. I mean, I actually was feeling, you know, totally better. It, it, the doctors verified it or, you know, but my, the addiction went away. I didn't even have the craving for it. And then six months later, they're right back in the same place. Why? Because freedom can be diminished and freedom can ultimately be lost. Uh, I don't have time to read them, but you need to go read Proverbs chapter 24. It gives this incredible story about this guy who walks by. He, you know, he's moved out of town. He's come back in, and he wanted to go see this farm that was just, everybody in the community revered it. It was gorgeous. Had these big fruit trees and these crops and these vineyards, and, and they built these, you know, these big, beautiful brick walls to kind of keep people out and, and, and to keep the critters out and to make sure you could see which crop was which. And he said he was shocked. He came back into town and he walked by that field that was once gorgeous and it was all overgrown with weeds and the thorns had completely choked out the vines and the trees and the and the beautiful brick walls were all broken down and crumbled and he said I looked at that and I learned a life lesson right there he said when you become spiritually lazy when you stop working the farm and you get to the point of blessing, you're like, yeah, life is good enough. Listen to me, I'm telling you, the enemy will come in and start putting those weeds back and you'll get to the point that all of a sudden you'll wake up one day and you'll be shocked. You're like, how in the world did I get here? Because a little laziness, a little compromise, a little distraction, and pretty soon the farm that you've worked so hard for goes into ill repair. This is absolutely the truth. On the other side, Hebrews chapter 6 verse 12 promises that it's those who through faith and patience, and patience, and patience, day after day after day after day, those are the ones God promises you will inherit the promise. This is not arbitrary. God does not lie. God is faithful. God says, I wouldn't have said it if I didn't guarantee it and I wasn't going to do it. But the kingdom of God, your spiritual life works like a farm. And if you'll let the Holy Spirit teach you, you'll get really good at farming. To the point other people say, how'd you do that? Well, come here, let me show you. Wait, wait, before you come over, grab those gloves and grab that shovel. Come over here. Let me show you. Because the kingdom of God works like a farm and God will make sure that it works in your life every single time for every single person because he loves you. Let me finish with this. There's a prayer in that printed book 
that I highlighted for you guys last week. It's a printed prayer, the very last one you'll see, and it's a personal prayer. This is one that you go through slow, you allow the Holy Spirit, there's some fill in the blanks about areas of your life and areas of your soil that you want the Holy Spirit to help you in. Listen to me, you should be praying that prayer a couple times during the week. For some of you, the Holy Spirit may say, let's pray that every day for a while. Let's take our time and walk through there. But I'm telling you, the first part of your journey in freedom is deliverance, snapping those shackles off of you, snapping those thought patterns and, and allowing you to think differently. And the next part is walking in and learning how to work the farm. If you need some help with this, I'm telling you, we, we have pastors, we have ministers sitting right on the congregation right now, and they're, they're ready to help you. We have ministries that are available. They'll say, you don't have to do this by yourself. We'll help you. But here's what I want you to, to know. God is faithful. And God wants us to live in freedom and live in victory and live in blessing. That's why Jesus died. But the whole kingdom works like a farm. Let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for providing for us so richly. That the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that even though he was rich beyond our wildest dreams in every area, for our sakes he became poor so that through his poverty we could become rich. And Lord, we thank you for such bold and such beautiful promises. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're the master farmer and, and you'll take the right components of this really big message and you'll drop those seeds into each of our lives. We may not remember everything right away, but help us to remember the things we need to remember individually. So as we leave today, you can begin to break up soil. You can get seed planted deep. You can begin to germinate and cause little plants and roots to begin to sprout so that from the inside out, you can change us into everything you've called us to be. We trust you. Nobody does it like you. And we'll thank you in advance in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.